0: How good it is to be in God's house. How good it is to have an opportunity to just come into His presence and worship Him. So we're standing down there. Brother Sammy walks up to me and says, I'm hungry. How many of you are hungry, amen? I'm not talking about food you can buy down here at the Quickie Mart. I'm talking about food from heaven, amen? I'm talking about eating the manna of our Father this evening. Amen. And I believe God's got a word for us. I believe God's got a meal for us. Not because I'm the one that's prepared it, but the Holy Spirit has prepared it. And I pray that we have come with hungry hearts this evening. If you weren't with us, just do a quick intro before we pray. But if you weren't with us last week, We have started a series entitled Words from the Cross. Seven phrases or sayings that were uttered by Jesus to God and to man as he was suspended on an old rugged cross. A cross that was reserved for the worst of the worst and the the lowest of the low. It was a cross in all reality that was reserved for you and me. But thanks be to God that Jesus took our place On that cross. Amen. Thanks be to God that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement for our peace was placed upon his shoulders and by his stripes we are healed. Amen. All because of the cross. And tonight we're going to go back to the cross once again. For the next 40 to 50 minutes, we will once again examine the words of Jesus spoken from Calvary's cross. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer and just ask that he be with us. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you are in this house this evening. We thank you that your spirit is here, God. And Lord, I'm Mindful of the words that we sang, that it's your breath that's in our lungs. You've given us breath and you've given us life. And Father God, as I stand here behind this pulpit, I pray that every word would be filled with your breath. That every word, Father God, would be filled with your anointing and your power, with your strength, with your wisdom, with your revelation. My words can't do anything for these people, your people, God, but your words can change their lives. Your words can set the captives free. Your words can turn a life around. Your words can give hope to the hopeless and healing to those that need to be healed. So I pray that your words, God, would be spoken this evening. That your words would be what we hear. Your words we would receive with gladness, Father God. Your words would find a place in the soil of our soul so that they might take root and bear fruit, Father God, and fruit that would last. As always, we ask that you would come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, every disruption. You come against all the cares of the day and the week, Father God, all of the trials and the turmoils that have arisen in our life. And I pray that we would be at peace for the next 40 minutes or so, so that we might receive your words into our lives. Thank you, Father God, that you even take the time to speak to us, God. Let us receive that in Jesus' mighty name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. The first words that came from Christ's lips, which we looked at last week, were, Father, forgive them. <clears throat> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Three words that built a bridge between us and God. How many are you thankful for that bridge? Amen. Three words that had the power to set the sinner free. Three words that were overflowing with mercy, And with grace, three words, Father, forgive them that were overflowing with patience and kindness and gentleness and temperance and long suffering. Three words that, in my opinion, were filled and saturated with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Father, forgive them. How many of you are thankful for these three powerful words? Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God spoke those words Over our lives. I won't re preach last week all about forgiveness, but how many of you know it's always worth re preaching the grace and the goodness of God? It's always worth re-preaching the goodness of God that was demonstrated towards us on Calvary's cross on Golgotha's hill. It's always worth hearing the good news of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. You see, the reality is if we preach nothing... Ever, but the cross of Jesus Christ from behind this pulpit, it would be worth preaching it every single day because the only thing that saves you and the only thing that sets us free, the only thing that gives us the hope of heaven is the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's always worth re-preaching. I won't re-preach a whole sermon, but I will remind us that it's always good to hear that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And he died for us on Calvary's cross. And I don't want to start this on a down note or a bad note, but I do wonder this evening, with all seriousness, when was the last time we shared that good news with someone else? When's the last time we shared the good news of of Jesus Christ with someone who was destined for destruction? Someone who needed salvation? When's the last time we talked to them about the forgiveness that we talked about last week, church? When's the last time we invited someone to the cross of Jesus Christ rather than to the church of God? You see, the reality is, like I taught you last week, it's not about the denomination and it's not about the church. It's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. And what you and I need to start doing as sons and daughters of the Most High God, what you and I need to start doing as disciples of Jesus Christ, is start inviting people to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy to invite someone to church, but it's a little different to invite them to the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's no Nothing wrong with inviting them to the house of God. But then the responsibility falls on the pastor. But God has called you to be salt and called you to be light. And He's called you to lead someone to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things that we need to understand and learn. Even in this passage, church, we've got to get to the place where we begin to invite people to Calvary's cross. We've already learned last week that it's all about the good news of the forgiveness of our sins. And it's why the first three words that were uttered from the cross were, Father, forgive them. Because the reality is, church, without those words, without the words of forgiveness spoken over our lives, we would never be able to experience paradise like the crook. That hung beside Christ on his own ugly cross. And that's what we'll look at this evening. The words that were spoken to this individual concerning paradise. The truth is, without forgiveness, we can never be with God. We will never see God. We will never see paradise. We will never sit at his banqueting table. We will never sup with him and dine with him. Without forgiveness, church, without forgiveness, there would be no acceptable day of salvation like there was for the crook beside Jesus Christ. Without the first words of forgiveness, everything else that Jesus spoke would have been meaningless. The words to the criminal that we will look at today would have been meaningless if he had not first said, Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he does. There would be no paradise for any of us if Jesus did not first speak those words, Father, forgive them. That's what I want to look at this evening. I want to look at the other words. I want to look at the second sentence that was uttered by a beaten and battered Jesus as he hung on Calvary's cross. Center stage between two thieves, the Bible says. Hung between two common criminals or two bandits that today would be considered armed and dangerous and on the most wanted list. You see, these two men that were hanging beside Jesus, they were on two two most wanted lists. They were on society's most wanted list, and they were on heaven's most wanted list as well. How many of you know heaven wants sinners? Heaven wants criminals. Heaven wants individuals that are lost in sin and dying and go to hell. And Jesus has a list. That is my most wanted. I want him to get saved. I want him to get right. I want him to be set free so that he can become part of the kingdom of God. These two men that were on both sides of Jesus Christ were on two most wanted lists. And the reality is, so were you and I. You and I were once on Christ's or God's most wanted list. I want Him. I want Him in my kingdom. I want Him in ministry. I want her to be set free. I want her to be valuable. I want Him to be an honorable vessel. I want Him to be fit and ready for every good work. I want her to advance the kingdom of God. I want to use them. I want to anoint them. We were once on God's most wanted list, church. And thank God that he found us. Amen. But what I want to look at tonight is uh, I want us to understand first that the men on the left and the right of Christ weren't some small time crooks. These were hardened criminals. They were individuals like though, like the men that beat up and battered and left for dead that. Individual that the Good Samaritan found left lying for dead in the middle of the road. That's what these two men were like. They were like the men that attacked that man that was on his way to Jericho and left him for dead. They weren't simple little pickpockets. They were some of society's worst church. They cared nothing about human uh, Kindness and human goodness. Their, their life was all about them. It was all about what they could acquire. They, they didn't consider anyone else. This is who was hanging beside Jesus Christ. One on the left and one on the right, the Bible says. The reality is these two men that were on the sides of Jesus Christ, they could have been the two thieves and the robbers that left that guy for dead in the middle of the road that the Good Samaritan picked up. That's who these men were. My point is simply this. They were bad men who were crucified with Jesus Christ. And it was from between these two men that we hear all of the words that Jesus spoke either to God or to men. The words that we're going to look at tonight were spoken between these two men as well in the second sentence that's found in Luke 23, 32 to 43, some of which we read last week, but we're going to read it again just so we can set the stage. And just like last week, where it took me a little while to get to Jesus's words, it's going to take me a moment to get to his words once again. But the Bible says two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing, which we examined last week, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots, or they gambled for his garments, the Bible says, And I want to pause right here because I don't want to just skip over this whole passage. I I want us to understand that any time we read the, the Word of God, between main points, there's all sorts of points that we can get truths from. But I'm going to pause here where the soldiers gambled for his garments, the Bible says. Paul's here where they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They didn't tear up Christ's clothes or rip up his garments and say, you can have this piece and you can have this piece. The Bible says they gambled for his garments so they would not be ripped and they would not be torn because the criminals understood that the robe ripped in pieces was worth nothing. They understood that if the garment was ripped in pieces, it was worth nothing. So they cast lots to see who could get what. And I share that because the sad reality is the soldiers and even the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, saw more value in the garments of Christ than in Christ himself. They gambled for his garments and they cared more about keeping the garments whole than they cared about keeping Christ whole. They had no concern about ripping at the Christ and tearing at the Christ and beating at the Christ and battering at the Christ and tearing at the Christ. But they cared about ripping up his clothes. They saw more value in the garments of God than they saw in the Son of God himself. Church. They saw more value in what Christ wore than in who Christ was. And who Christ was was their Redeemer. Who Christ was was their propitiation. Who Christ was was the precious Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. But they saw more value in the garments than they saw in Jesus Christ. And the sad reality is, and don't get upset at me for preaching this, but far too often sometimes we do exactly the same exact thing. Sometimes we see more value in what we can get from God than in God Himself. Sometimes we see more value in what we can take from God and acquire from God than in who God is. You see, sometimes we come into the house of God and we see more value in the provision than in the provider, in the healing than in the healer, in the gift than in the giver. So many times we come into the house of God and we act just like these soldiers who gambled for his garments and wonder what we can get from God rather than than adoring who God is. You see, God forgive us because far too often we come into God's house wondering what we can get. Rather, coming into God's house wondering what we can give to God. You see, the reality is All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and sometimes we have this concept and this understanding that we deserve something from God. Sometimes we come marching into His presence and think that we deserve a gift from God. But the reality is what we forget is that we deserve the cross that these criminals were hanging on. We deserve to be the one on the left, and we deserve to be the one on the right. And we forget that Jesus took our place. And because we forget that, church, we begin to see more value in what we can get from God than in who God is. You see, when we come into the house of God, the reason that it's hard for us sometimes to pour out our praise is because we're looking at what we can get or what we didn't get from God that week instead of looking at who God is. When we come into the house of God, we should worship the giver. We should worship the healer. We should worship the provider before the provision even comes to our plate. Amen? We should worship the healer before healing even comes to my body. We should should worship the Deliverer before deliverance comes to my household. We should worship Him and pour out our praise. But the sad truth is and the sad reality is far too often, like the soldier, we want what he wears, but we don't really want him. We want the material things He can give to us. We want the things that we can hold in our hand. We want the things that we can touch and feel and smell. We want the things that have some earthly value. We want His blessings and we want His riches. We want the financial goods that God can give to us. We want His goodness and we want His garments. We want what He is arrayed in, but far too often we really don't want Him. And when I began to read this and study this, look up what God is arrayed in. God is arrayed in glory and God is arrayed in splendor and God is arrayed in riches and God is arrayed in a lot of different things. And far too often we come into the house of God and we want what he is arrayed in. God, give me your glory. God, give me your favor. God, give me your blessings and your riches and your goodness. We want what He is arrayed in and dressed in and clothed in. But the question is, do we really want Him? If He didn't give us any of that, do we still want Him? If the blessings didn't come my way, if they weren't poured out in my lap, if they weren't pressed down, shaken together and overflowing in my life, do I still want to worship Him? Do I still want to praise Him? Do I still want to dance for Him? That's the question we have to ask. We must be careful, church. With our attitude towards God, we must be careful when we come into the house of God. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% behind this 50 days of blessings. But I'm telling you and I'm telling you right now, if it only becomes about the blessings and you lose sight of God, the blessings will be a curse and not a blessing. God giveth and God taketh away. And if the blessings of God turn into an idol in our life and we value them more than we value God, He'll take them away, church. We cannot be like the soldiers who saw more value in a complete garment than they saw in a beaten and battered Christ. Than they saw in the Redeemer The propitiation for their sins. The precious Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, church. Far too often, it's about what we can get from Him rather than simply being with Him. Instead of, can I just be with you, God? It is a privilege to come into the house of God. It's a privilege to come into the presence of God It cost God the life of His Son for us to come into His presence. And sometimes we forget what it cost the Father when we approach Him. It cost Him His only begotten Son. And that's what we have to remember because it keeps us humble when we come into His throne room of grace looking for help. You see, the reality is when we come into His presence... We're allowed to ask for help. And He he encourages us to come boldly to ask for help, but not because we deserve it. It's because of what His Son did, because of the price that was paid. Come boldly into His throne room of grace, but come with a spirit of humility. Come with a spirit of understanding Come with the mentality in the heart that says, God, I just want to be with You. I just want to kneel at Your feet. I just want to bask in Your beauty. When's the last time we've done that, church? I just want to come into Your presence. Why do you think David cried out, One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeep at the house of God. Than to be anywhere else because all he wanted to do was be in the presence of God. All he wanted to do was bask in his beauty. I hope you're getting what I'm saying, church. We can get so caught up in what God has for us that we lose sight of who God is. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last and the beginning of and the end. And He's everything in between. He's our strong tower. He's our provider. He's our bulwark and our strength. And, and, and when we come into His house and come into His presence, we need to understand that. We've got to be careful. Yes, look, I know we've got needs. But please understand, we can't come into the house of God. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme. We can't come into the presence of God. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Because if we do, we're just like the soldiers. I don't want to be that, church. And I know you don't either. So let us just learn from this passage this evening. The reality is, is that when this happens, when we're like that, and they were like that, the soldiers were like that, is because they saw no value in Him. And far too often, again, that's us. And I'm not preaching this to condemn us. It's to give us a truth and some understanding. Far too often, we see no value in reading the Word of God. It sits in the back seat of our car. It sits on a coffee table. looks real nice. It doesn't get open but once a week when we come into the house of God. And then it doesn't get open then because we got it up on PowerPoint. We see no value in this. Far too often we see no value in coming into His presence, no value in communicating with Christ. Far too often we see no value in developing a deep personal relationship with Jehovah God, with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see no value in climbing up on the cross to be with Jesus Christ. Or to suffer with Him like Paul said. He said, I want to know Him in the fellowship of His suffering. You see, Paul understood. Paul was willing to climb up on that cross just so he could be with Jesus. I shared last week, he said, I've, des- I've determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was willing to climb up on the cross. And you and I need to be willing to do the same exact thing. We have to see value in that. We have to see value in reading the Word of God. We have to see value in getting into a prayer closet. We have to see value in coming into the house of God on a weekly, regular basis to be fed the food of God. Like my brother Sammy came hungry. We need to see a value in coming hungry into the presence of God. We need to see a value in spiritual discipline. We need to see a value in developing a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to see the value of climbing up upon that cross no matter how much it might hurt. We must see the value. But the soldiers didn't see the value. Far too often, it's give me his garments. Instead of give me God. But that's what it needs to be. Give me God. Look at verse 35. It says the people stood and watched and the rulers sneered at him all while they were dividing up his clothes. Because the truth is, like I said, they saw these individuals saw no value in him. They beat him and mocked him because they saw no value in him. They ridiculed him, jeered at him, mocked him because they saw no value in him. They shoved a spear in His side and a crown of thorns on His head and nails in His wrists and nails in His feet because they saw no value in Him. They put a sign of mockery, King of the Jews, up upon His head because they saw no value in Him. They spit at Him when they walked by. They plucked out His beard and punched Him in the face and beat Him with rods, the Bible says. Why? Because they saw no value in Him. They saw a value in the garments that he wore and the sandals that he wore and the robe and the loincloth that he had on him. They saw a value in that, but they did not see value in the precious Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the earth. But in the midst of it all, the Bible tells us that one of the criminals, when everyone else saw nothing of value... One of the criminals saw his redemption drawing nigh. When everyone else saw nothing but a thief and nothing but a blasphemer and nothing but a crook hanging on that center cross, one of the men beside Jesus saw the Christ, the son of the living God. One of those individuals, the Bible tells us, saw mercy in the flesh, saw grace and goodness in the flesh, saw their salvation in the flesh. And the Bible insinuates and tells us that it was applied to his life. Because he saw... The son of God, because he saw mercy and grace, because he conversed with mercy and grace and called out to mercy and grace and cried out to the God of his salvation. Salvation was applied to his life 2000 years ago there on a criminal's cross. Look at it. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, he shouted. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence of death? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man hanging between us. This man on the center cross. This man that was beaten and bruised worse than we were beaten and bruised. This man who you can't even recognize his face. This man who had a spear shoved up in his side. This man hanging right here. He has done nothing wrong. He recognized the innocent Lamb of God hanging right there between them he recognized him and he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and jesus answered i tell you i tell you didn't tell everybody he was speaking to that one man who saw the messiah he was speaking to that one man who saw his redemption drawing nigh. He was speaking to that one man who saw his Redeemer, saw the God of his salvation. He said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Those were the second words of our Savior as he hung on Golgotha's hill. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The crook cried out, Jesus, remember me. In the Hebrew, he cried out, Yeshua, remember me. Yeshua means this to give you a better understanding of what's taking place on the cross. And in this conversation, church, I want you to understand the depth of it. Yeshua means the Lord saves It means Yahweh saves. It means God is my salvation. So please understand, when everyone else saw no value in Jesus Christ, this crook saw his salvation. He saw his redemption and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you sit down on your throne. Remember me when you return to your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus Remember me, he said. Yeshua, remember me, he said. The God of my salvation, remember me, he said. And Jesus said, or we can say Yeshua said, or I believe we can say God's salvation opened up his mouth to a common criminal, And said, today you will be with me in paradise. Understand, church, last week we looked at Christ's conversation with the Father. It was a conversation where Jesus directed his attention toward heaven and asked the Father for our forgiveness it was a conversation that was going on between the Son of God and the Father. It was a conversation to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords like I talked about just a moment ago. It was a conversation between Jesus and the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first and the last and the, the beginning of the end. It was a conversation with, between Jesus and the, the Lord of hosts, between Jesus and the only one that had the power to forgive any Everybody. That was the first conversation. It was between Jesus and the heights of heaven. But this week, we're looking at a conversation between Christ and a crook. A conversation with a common criminal. A conversation with one who needed forgiveness and not one who could offer forgiveness See how far apart we're talking here in this conversation, church? The first plea, Jesus cries out to the only one who could ask for forgiveness. And in the second conversation, he's talking to the one who needs forgiveness. How many are thankful God has conversations with those who need forgiveness? Amen. And how many of us are thankful that at some place he had a conversation with his father so that we might get saved? Amen. But that's what's going on here. In one breath, please understand this. In one breath, Jesus speaks to the heights of heaven, directing His attention to the Father as high as He could direct His prayer. And in the next breath, remember, He's hanging on the cross. These are the two. In one breath, He reaches His conversation to the heights of heaven. And in the next breath, he has a conversation with the dregs of society. Why? Because remember, he made himself nothing. He considered that individual hanging on the cross that spent his entire life living for me, myself, and I, and he considered him more important than himself. He came down from the throne of glory, he came down from the heights of heaven, he took off his crown, he took off his, he laid down his scepter, he took off his robe And he considered you and I more important than himself. The one who was in daily conversation with the Father in the heights of heaven. In one breath, he calls out to the Father. And in the next, he talks to the lowest of the criminals. He converses with a crook because he considered that man beside him more important than himself. And somewhere in our life's journey... Somewhere in our walk of life, Jesus considered us more important as well. You see, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that that Christ paid attention to sinners. I'm glad Christ actually conversed with crooks. Amen? Because the reality is, that's who you and I were. We were crooks. We were criminals. I never robbed a bank. I never robbed anybody's house. I never stole from anybody. I never did all these evil, bad things. But you stole God's glory. You see, that's what sinners do. They steal God's glory. All of us have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. We, God's creation, we who were filled with the breath of God, we who were supposed to be the representation of God, we who were created in His image, robbed His glory. Don't tell me we're not thieves. Don't tell me we're not criminals. Don't tell me we're not crooks. This is exactly who was hanging beside Jesus. It was you and me. We were the common criminal. We were the contemptible crook that was hanging beside Jesus. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, God from the foundation of the earth looked to our desperate need for a Savior. And set him to Calvary's cross. And there on Calvary's cross, like we learned last week, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in the following week, he speaks to a crook and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Doesn't make sense, but that's who God is. And the religious leaders hated that church. They hated that. They despised that. I'm running out of time, so I got to keep on moving. I'm just glad that Christ conversed with crooks. Amen. The truth is, all throughout his ministry, Jesus had conversations with prostitutes and tax collectors and adulterers. He dined with sinners, the Bible says. And one day, while we were lost in sin... When we were wandering in darkness, when we were doing what was right in our own eyes and walking in our own ways, God opened up his mouth and he spoke to us as well. Amen. One day when we were sinking in sin, one day when we were sinking in the miry clay, one day when we were hanging in judgment and destined for destruction, just like this one thief hanging on the cross beside Jesus, one day the salvation of God opened up his mouth and spoke to you and spoke to me. And the reality is, if you don't remember that day, you need to, I mean, you need to do some thinking. Because I'm telling you, I remember that day when the salvation of God opened up his mouth and he spoke into my life. I want you to know that on Sunday, October 18th, 1981, at 6.30 p.m., when I was faking it in the middle of a youth choir, in the middle of singing, in the middle of acting like I was all that, in the middle of acting like I was all righteous and acting like I was all good and holy, the, the mouth of God opened up and spoke into my life. And the light of Christ shone through, and my life has never been the same ever since, because somewhere in my darkness, the salvation of God spoke to a common criminal and spoke to a common crook that was hiding and playing holy in the house of God. You know, that's where a lot of sinners are found, right in the house of God. I'm just glad that on that day, 1981, my life was changed. I challenge you, find that day. Find that day when the God of salvation opened up his mouth and spoke open to your life. Spoke salvation into your life, called you out of darkness, and brought you into his glorious light. The reality is, just like he called out to Adam and Eve when they were hiding in the darkness of their disobedience. You remember that? Created in the image of God, created to rule and reign in paradise. They sinned, they disobeyed God. The Bible tells us they went and hid. And just like he called out to them when they were hiding in their disobedience, he called out to us as well. Amen. Listen, again, I'm going back to the fact that I'm so grateful that God takes the time to converse with crooks. God takes the time to call out to the sinner, to the worst of the worst and the lowest of the low. To the contemptible criminals that you and I once were. He took the time to call out to us. But even beyond that, listen, he took the time to hang out with us on Calvary's cross. He didn't just talk to us. He died for us. He demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us, church. He proved His love towards us. He demonstrated it on Calvary's cross. All throughout Jesus' ministries, He hung out with the frowned upon. He hung out with the bad element. He hung out with the horrible and the religious leaders hated it, church. And here we have Jesus Christ again hanging out on Calvary's cross between two of the worst criminals that could be placed there. And I say all that to tell you that if Jesus Christ will hang out on the cross with you and hang out on the cross for you, he'll hang out with you wherever you are. He'll meet with you wherever you need to be met. He'll speak to you wherever you need to be spoken to. If he'll speak to to a man who lived his whole life living for himself, sentenced to death, then he'll speak to you and me. But the key is this. We have to recognize who he is. We have to confess that He is our salvation. We have to confess that we've done wrong like this guy did. We have to confess that that without Jesus Christ, we will receive the punishment for our dirty deeds. He understood that. But what I want you to understand is what this guy did is he called Jesus for who He was. He recognized His sin and He recognized His Savior and He cried out to Him. And as soon as He cried out to Him, what was it Jesus said to him today? You will be with me in paradise today, because today is the day of salvation. The Bible tells me that now is the acceptable time of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus said, because today is the day to repent. Today is the day to get things right with God. Today is the day to confess you with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God. That he's the savior of the world. Today is the day to put your past behind you like this common criminal did. He wanted to put his past behind him, church. And he wanted to have newness of life. What this man didn't understand and what we have to understand is that on that same exact day... Jesus was destined to take his place. On that same exact day, Jesus was destined to become the propitiation for his sins. On that same exact day, today, Jesus was going to be the precious Lamb of God that would take away his sins. He might have been designated to die He may have been designated to face judgment. He may have been designated to have to give an account for all of his actions and pay for his dirty deeds. But the reality is on that same exact day, Jesus was destined to die in his place. And what you and I have to realize is that there was no tomorrow for this man that was hanging on the cross. There was no tomorrow for him. And the reality is none of us are promised tomorrow Right now, this moment could be your final breath. Right now, this moment, Jesus could return. The clouds could roll back. Right now, none of us are promised tomorrow. This man knew he had no tomorrow. That's why today is so important. That's why Jesus used that word. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Please grasp this. The Son of God made a promise to a lifelong crook hanging beside him on a criminal's cross. He made a promise to a crooked man. He made a promise to someone that never kept his word. He made a promise to someone that really didn't deserve it, church. And by the end of that day, that promise was fulfilled because how many of you know God is not a man that he should lie Or the Son of Man that He changes His mind when He speaks, He acts, when He promises, He fulfilled. And what He promised this crooked, contemptible man. He promised him that today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because this man confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord The Bible tells me that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what this man did. He called on the name of Jesus. He called on the God of his salvation. And God made him a promise that today you'll be with me in paradise. He's made us the same promise, church. If we believe with our heart, if we confess with our mouth, if we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, he has made a promise to you and me that he will remember us in glory. He's made a promise to us that if we, like this man, confess him as Lord, that our name will be written down in the book of life and it will not be forgotten, the Bible says. And we will be with the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that promise. Amen. Amen.